Welcome everyone to the Serve Conscious Podcast. I'm so excited to be speaking with Molly Brutamesso of Wunderkind, a really, really radical uh, new uh, marketing uh, company that I'm so excited to talk about um, their awesome stuff that they do and the awesome stuff you're doing with them and helping up-level how people serve. So thanks for uh, joining me. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, definitely excited about our conversation. Uh, You have such uh, aligned interests in the really human aspects of service, the deep human aspects of service, you know, mindfulness, uh, emotional well-being, um, deep growth, and all that stuff that I think is instrumental. So uh, we're going to get deep into that today. But but first, I really want to hear about uh, your own journey, uh, Molly. What brought you to where you are now, doing the work you do now with the passion that you do it? Absolutely. Well, I think if we're actually talking about the service mentality and mindfulness, I probably need to go all the way back. Uh, So I was born and raised in Cincinnati, and my parents are ex-hippies, and both were in medicine and still are in medicine. So they met in the ER. My mom was an ER nurse, and my dad was in residency. And for 40 years, they've partnered together in this general practice in Cincinnati with my dad as the doctor and my mom as the nurse office manager. And I would say now we would call it employee and customer experience guru there, but they probably don't have those words in in general practice businesses. Uh, But they're incredibly committed to service and have been purpose-driven from the get-go. So enter me, right? And from an early age, I wanted to go into business and probably most households, that would be an easy conversation, right? Or, you know, welcomed, right? For my parents, this was not exciting. It was a bit alarming, right? We've raised a capitalist. Was it the Monopoly game that we left around, right? We should have gotten rid of that. And (laughs) and when I built an ATM machine and was incredibly angry that real money didn't come out at the age of five, uh, I feel like there was definitely some um, hippies books consulted on on parenting, but... uh, but we got through it. My parents sort of grinned and bore it and, uh, and in great parenting fashion encouraged me to live my dreams and go into business. Um, but from the get-go, when I went into business, I didn't see it as a transactional exchange, right? It was always about how do I bring service and bring that humanity into business? And that was always the side of the business that I was on, right? Uh, and the other piece that was sort of hardwired from the beginning that I think does come into the service mentality and the mindfulness is my father was this real adventurer and still is. Um, But from early days, he was brought up in upstate New York, um, son of a factory worker and first one to go to college in his family. And he just never wanted life to be boring as it was for him. So this was very much an informative piece for how I was raised and how I chose different parts of my life, including where I live, live in New York, how I travel, travel to 78 countries, um, my friendships, my relationships, uh, and importantly, my career. So I ended up very much choosing a side of the business where you're never bored. And where are you never bored? When you're interacting with people, right? Mm -hmm. It's never boring. It's never monotonous. Um, and that can be for better or worse. So I um, started off my first 14 years. I was on the agency side, uh, Sachin Sachi, JWT, publicist, running big agency businesses, teams on building big world-changing ideas, as we like to say, um, big commercials at the time, and then kind of these, you know, media-free ideas and how those affect the world. Uh, I moved over to tech about 12 or 13 years ago now and have been running customer success teams on the marketing technology side of the business. And my first foray into tech was with Salesforce. And I've um, found my way to Wunderkind. Uh, I pronounce it Wunderkind, uh, which you do a much better job with that accent. But it's been this amazing home for me for the last three years. I get the joy of running our customer success team here where we've really been able to find the balance of that art and science in customer service and customer success. And it's been an amazing, amazing journey. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about um, your, your background and what you're doing now. And it's, it's no surprise, right? It's like, like by definition, you're just going to turn out the opposite of your parents just for, right. just for flavor, right? Just for, exactly. <laughs> right. You're, you're going to rebel against something and they joke, you know, that, they joke about it now and it's, it's all fun and games, right? 
Yeah, but I mean, if I'm right, you you bring with you like more of the fruits of what they taught you than they may even think, even if you seem totally like different on the surface. And I'm curious if there's any like particular uh, ways of doing things you noticed in terms of how they served others or just like like particular flashbulbs that stuck out to you that kind of really explains um, why you do what you do now and, and why you do it the way you do. That's a great question. And one of the things that comes to mind when you say that is my, some of my parents' stories that they take the most pride in having run this practice now for 40 years is the multi-generational piece of taking care of their, um, their patients, right? And understanding their individual experiences and how that might affect their health. And, you know, through, you know, the, the kids, the parents, the grandparents, sometimes the great grandparents now. And I think for me, the that connection, there's two parts of the connection to what we do, right? One is understanding how your work life does affect your mental health and your actual well-being, right? And seeing and hearing stories at the dinner table of people that were in jobs that had just run them into the ground, right? And the way that that was affecting their health. But I think the second piece is one of the areas that I get the most satisfaction out of, especially as I get later into my career, has been seeing and developing new people coming into the business and seeing their careers take off. And that, you know, even if they move companies and they're no longer, you know, within my team, it still is that amazing feeling of understanding that you've been able to help them in their kind of first you know, first jobs or second jobs, and instill some sort of understanding of how you can have a work-life integration, come come to work as your full self, be appreciated for your full self, be able to talk about some of those experiences about well-being, what you use for mindfulness, how you how you balance your internal self along with your external self, which especially when it comes to service and customer success, I talk about it's it's incredibly important to understand your own internal monitoring in order to be able to serve our clients the, the best. Yeah, no doubt. And I'd, I'd love to talk about um, what you've found in terms of how, you know, the inner really does determine the outer and, and the differences um, you've noticed maybe um, changing your inner game and, and the people you work with in service teams um, when they when they work on uh, whatever they're struggling with and how that shows up and uh, how they serve. Yeah, great question. And I again, I feel like we're in this journey on on getting there. And I, you know, one of the interesting areas, and you probably see this a lot in your work is there's been this well-being push in the corporate world, but it feels a little bit separate, right? It's like, let's do a meditation session right over here, right? And it's not necessarily linked with the work that you're doing with clients. Yeah. So some of the things that we do uh, and talk about is train on positive communication. So how do we talk and use words that simultaneously make us feel better, make the customer feel better, right? And can convey the same meaning and potentially a better meaning, right? How do we get through some of those challenges? I also do um, sessions with our team on how, if you're in a really, really tough client situation, which we've all been in, is how to kind of have some of that distance that we talk about, right? How to kind of take a back step and how to think about, oh, how am I going to describe this story later, at, you know, if I'm at a dinner party, right? Um, so that you kind of can take yourself out of it and the emotion out of it and be able to address the client and help them through the challenge rather than getting so caught up in the emotions around, oh my goodness, this is the worst meeting I've ever been in. What do I do, right? And you can kind of see the, see the visual after that this is going to be okay. And how do I just help now to get to that moment where this will become a story? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I probably wouldn't be doing what I do if uh, it wasn't for the sort of unpredictable hostility of uh, the people you're serving. You know, um, if it was, if everyone was like appreciative and pleasant, um, I, I wouldn't, 
this wouldn't be episode 112 of the podcast. <laughs> like I would have nothing to say like, great. Well, service is great. Let's just keep doing it. But it's, it's the humans we serve that, um, you know, seem to be making it hard, you know? Um, but I, I learned like a lot of the time I was inflating the difficulty of it. And uh, that's where mindfulness right. and everything came in for me. And I realized that's my life too, right? It's like, I wouldn't need meditation and mindfulness if people were always just pleasant and easy, but people, um, you know, uh, are not, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, that, that, I think that's really where most of the work is often dealing with difficult customers. Do you find that like in terms of like where you're putting your efforts into like, um, working on, on the challenges, is it often, um, from the impact of difficult customers? For sure. There is that 80, 20 rule. And I think even more than is it the amount of time that it takes up? It's also the mental space, right? It's the mm -hmm. ones that keep us up at night that you, you know, have this dream where this client will come into your head and you wake up in the morning thinking, why mm -hmm. am I dreaming about work, right? And that's, that's the part that I try and figure out ways for my team to work through, right? So we have a few things that we'll do. One, I just love gamifying and it sounds like you do a similar piece, but I love gamifying the most negative experiences you've had with clients because it turns it into a game, right? So if you have a team outing, right, what's the worst client experience you've had? And anonymize it, of course, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it makes it sort of a game. And so when you do have a really bad one, you can be thinking, oh, the next time we talk about that, I'm going to have a good one, right? Got a war story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, it's, I mean, the, the human brain works to hold on and change things from negative experiences, but we're, we're very quick to ignore the positive experiences. Mm -hmm. So figuring out ways to crank that up. My team laughs at me, but my favorite meeting is a wins meeting that we do every two weeks. Uh, and we just go over and it has to be a win, right? It's a small win. It's a big win, right? And forcing people to remember something each week that they consider a win and laughing about it and enjoying it with the whole team is just a, this kind of infectious joy that comes from it and seeing kind of the chats and the reactions and everything like that. It, it makes it more of the mental space. So as you go, you know you how customer service is. It's like in a given day, you can go through the peaks, the valleys, 9 a.m. You have a great meeting, 10 a.m. You know, a client calls and it is in utter panic by 1 p.m. They're the happiest client again because you got whatever it was that mm -hmm. they needed. Right? And it's this constant up and downs and being able to pull out, at least in your memory, these are some kind of cornerstones of, of happiness or wins is a major piece of it because we're quick to oversee, you know, quickly rush over those and look at the ones where we're getting a, a more aggressive client. Yeah, that's huge what you're saying. Actually, I want to comment on two things you're saying. Uh, the first one is I, this uh, idea of like things sticking to us, like after we go home, it's like haunted by just like service situations. Like, could I've handled that better? Like what went wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And I find that can happen even in a situation that isn't that bad. And mm -hmm. maybe, and it just didn't go the way we wanted it to. It could have been like a neutral outcome when we were really like doubling down our energy and wanting it to be like awesome and like singing our praises. And it's like, do they even, do they, do they even care at all? What happened? Did I even do a good job? And I, and I actually had a, right in that episode, I was like, no one knows how to let go. So we're going to do a letting go practice uh, to actually let go of these experiences. And I think it's so, that's so key for service to be able to let go of a situation that you showed up to the best you can. I love that idea of a letting go ceremony. I was actually going to ask you if you had any ideas of sort of rituals or ceremonies to pull from kind of more mindfulness practices. And I love that idea. We do a few things. One of, uh, one of our directors that runs a, one of the parts of the team, she's really done this fantastic job of how do you bring in a few of these pieces that feel a little less corporate and a little bit more mindful. So mm. it, she'll do instead of what, you know, what my direction was, is having everybody talk about their biggest three, like the big three each week of what are the priorities that they have that they need to get done. Again, my, my thinking was this would help them feel good at the end of the week that they've identified time against this and sort of track the ability to have a win there. Right. Um, what she was seeing is it was a feeling overwhelming, especially as we know, COVID, pandemic, mental health, the 
the kind of extreme situation that's brought about. So she switched it to having a mantra each week mm. and that impact and them sharing that in the Slack channels and how they kind of lived their mantra that week really kind of transformed that team and, and helped us bring some of that into the rest of the teams. She'll also do, we, you know, kind of fall back on our team outings being wine tastings or, you know, something that involves food or drink or that kind of thing. So she switched it up and actually had a meditation coach come and send each of the team members a, a candle. This was kind of midway through COVID when everybody was still at home. Um, and it was just a really neat way to think about how we can get together as a team and balance out some of the more traditional ways that we would think about team celebrations or team goals um, in new ways. So those weren't my ideas, but appreciated her bringing those. But I love this letting go ceremony. I'm going to bring that back. Totally am. It's a simple practice, and and it's not what you think it is. Um, but uh, I really, yeah, I really do appreciate that idea of of actually also like removing that idea. I think you're saying like there's three like goals, three things to do this week, and and said like three mantras because what we're talking about here with goals is like outcomes, like that have to happen. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, it's stressful. I mean, obviously you need those, right? But when you just have like a mantra, there's no like attention. There's no um, need for an outcome. There's no need for things to go a certain way. There's just like a hey, let's see where this kind of like happens where this comes to life in my life. And it just kind of can bring a little more, uh, I guess, positivity. Actually, I wanted to mention about um, positivity that you were mentioning. Um, There is this tendency towards negativity. Um, uh, Brain science calls it negativity bias. And uh, like working directly on that with people probably all the time, because that's just literally how we're wired. And I I just was thinking back to my service career. um, And wow, like that was like negativity bias embodied. You know, you can't get your boss's attention unless you screw something up. And like, I, I mean, I, I would try, I would do a lot of positive things. Nope. I know. Let's drop something. <laughs> let's right. let's get a complaint come in. Then I can get their attention, you know? So, so it sounds like you're kind of reconfiguring things to put more attention on, on the positive and make that more of a habit. Definitely. And open to more ideas around there. Uh, for sure. One of the things that we we're doing as a company is we talk a lot about energy and we're actually looking at how do you codify this into an energy index, both so that we can encourage it and sort of look at what are those people that are bringing the best energy into the room or the Zoom these days? Is it positive? Is it infectious? Do others leave that meeting feeling better than they went into it, right? And it doesn't have to be that same energy, right? Some people have a very calm energy. Some people have this very uh, charismatic energy, right? But we look for, are they making people feel better? Do you come out of, regardless of what was said, do the clients come out or internal meetings, do people come out feeling better? And it's been an interesting exercise as we try and look at that in in energy index um, and making sure that people that are really bringing that are appropriately rewarded for it. And then we do some coaching, as I was saying, around some of the positive communications and how to introduce yourselves in ways that kind of make yourself feel good before that, um, that bring that energy into the room. Yeah, that's um, interesting how uh, that often fits into there being very many different forms it can take. And I'm wondering how you work with the different personality types, especially in your service teams, because I think people can get really um, kind of caught up in an inferiority complex if they don't think they have the right like charisma formula Mm -hmm. to be um, in sales or service or even in the world of like business where like extroversion often reigns uh, supreme, right? So um, do you have ways of just like um, maybe giving credence to all the different recipes? Because some people like are really passionate about service and are really good at helping others. They just have maybe a different way of doing it, maybe a subtler touch. And Mm -hmm. some people have a really quite quite an outgoing brazen touch to service that some people like, but others might like shrink away at and like it's not really their flavor. So um, yeah, do you have ways of accounting for all the different, um, many of the, many, maybe not all, but many of the different uh, personality types and I guess energies basically um, in your in your team? Absolutely. And that's another area we're still working on, but we've had people that have 
risen very quickly through the org that have both of those energy types, right? People that are incredibly good listeners and they come, they can come across a little bit meek, right? Mm -hmm. In, Mm -hmm. in certain areas, but they're actually these incredible listeners that are able to make the client feel heard and they, they are hearing them, right. And are able to kind of transform their business. And those are some of the energies that get requested. You know, a customer will leave and go to another company and say, bringing you on, but I want this person, right? So one of the pieces is just making sure that we let everybody know that there's been different types of energies that succeed and you don't need to be one or the other. And you can look at the areas. We also have very, very engaged managers, right? Where we're constantly looking at what are this person's strengths in customer service? What's their voice? And I always encourage everybody to find their own voice, right? It's This has been one of the harder pieces about being remote and having some people in the office, some people not, is you hear different people's voices, right? And you can kind of say, oh, this, this one I could do or with a mix of this, right? So giving people exposure to different ways of talking to clients, feeling comfortable in their own ability to do that. And I will say, Wonderkin overall, our core value is about bringing out that individuality. And that's both in the product that we serve, as well as the employees that we hire. So we, it doesn't matter what role you're in, we encourage you to bring that individuality to work. So for the CS team, it's just that extra piece of how do you bring that to clients, right? Mm -hmm. And there's certain pieces that are no-nos. It doesn't matter, you know, what type of energy you have. If you don't have any punctuation in an email, does it make sense? That's not going to be the great energy that we can bring, right? But there's a lot of variance that you can have in the way that you service clients that is 100% acceptable and encouraged. And we see great results with clients. And do you find people are just like, they just do better work when they can feel like they can be themselves? Absolutely. And we find a lot of people that have had other jobs where they say, this is the first time that I feel like I can be myself and be authentic. And that also goes across. We have large employee resource groups with um, a real effort to bring in diversity. And then once they're at the Wonderkin home that we create communities around that. So the just the LGBTQ community there, we have many employees um, where this is the first job that they could not only be out, but be appreciated for who they are. Uh, and so that kind of extends the and is an example of where that work life barrier that's traditionally existed really gets crossed and people's ability to achieve and be motivated to come to work and feel safe coming to work is just exponential, right? I mean, we we get people that, you know, you'll be in a one-on-one just talking about how the clients are going and, and those pieces working through, you know, some, some various things, a, t- a tough client, a great client, some pieces that need to happen. And, you know, then you get to the question of just overall, how, how are you? You're, is there anything that keeps you up at night and just you know, almost tears on how happy they are to be able to come to work as their authentic self and only worry that they're able to kind of achieve success so they could stay here, right? (laughs) So that's a great Hmm. problem to have and something that we want to encourage. So is there attention paid to your teams? um, Like, basically, like maybe even personal, I don't want to say dramas, but that's what they call it a lot of like, you know, um, like, cultures, right? Yeah, it's your personal drama. Don't bring it here. But do you find paying some attention to at least some of those areas and, and you know, just making sure they're, they're, they're doing well in their, in their whole start to finish 24 hour life is, uh, has been helpful? Absolutely. And there's a balance because you don't want people to feel like they have to share, but mm. we do require in one-on-ones that managers have a section, you know, the team has to do an agenda beforehand that has a structure about clients challenges and, you know, a couple different categories, right. Of business pieces. And then there's a question that's what keeps you up at night and it has both life or work, right. So that might be something about a client, but we encourage people to say I'm moving and I don't have a place to move yet or, you know, there's something going on with a parent uh, and I just need a little bit more space. And 
that openness and the consistency of asking it on a weekly basis. So nine times out of 10, it's nothing. But the 10th time when something is there, they don't have this awkwardness of how do I do this? Do I, do I need to set up a one-on-one with my manager to say I'm a little off this week? Right. No, I don't. Right. And the bigger pieces, then you, you have this outlet where you can do that. And that's been very, very powerful. We do have um, some nice pieces. We work with Bravely, which is a software which allows you to get connected to therapists and coaches. Uh, and then we, um, you know, we have a lot of resources um, beyond that, you know, depending on what people are going through as well. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I think of, of organizations that do stuff like that. And the first one that comes to mind, speaking of hippies, is Cafe Gratitude in, uh, in California. You know, it's like, it's like everything counts. You're dealing with a whole person. And what they're going through emotionally matters because it's, it's coming into work with them. So, like, why not meet them where they're at compassionately and, and see how they can be helped with that? And it, it always makes, um, you know, a, a huge difference. And unfortunately, that this, this kind of company gets categorized as like a hippie cult when you know they're actually just creating like a, a really thriving uh work culture where people feel really grateful speaking of gratitude for having worked there and been able to not have to stuff something down uh that that's going to be holding back their day anyway yeah absolutely i'm, I'm sort of laughing because the um the how you're feeling piece, the number of times, right, I've got young kids, seven and three. And as we went through this, you know, finding uh, preschools, and we live in Brooklyn, and you know, my, my son goes to a very progressive um, Brooklyn school, and a lot of the socio-emotional tools that they use there I found surprisingly impactful in the service world, right? (laughs) Including, um, you know, they use certain hand motions um, to, you know, agree or disagree or provide support um, for people that are talking so that you don't have to interrupt. Uh, This was something that we introduced at a leadership team meeting when when we were all talking over each other and it has (laughs) become a a fun thing that we use thanks to, uh, you know, a kindergarten practice. And, but I was thinking about it there, you know, they, they start each day with how you're feeling, right? And you're allowed to, you know, one of the options is I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling sad, right? And we don't have that option as much at work. And I'm not saying we necessarily start our meetings or would recommend starting our meetings uh, like that with clients. But I think having a note of that is, is, is good. And actually, one of my colleagues will start his one-on-ones with, are you mad, sad, or glad, right? Just Mm -hmm. to kind of set the tone, you know, get get it out there, right? And where, where are you? Where are you coming in today? And how can I meet you there? Uh, So one of, one of the other pieces that's been interesting is just kind of letting, letting that life in when we've been doing executive business reviews in COVID, you know, everybody's coming in from home. So we've allowed a break in the middle of those where you can go off and handle home. So that could be your dog, right? And then we encourage people to, to bring and enter in whatever, whatever is needed there. So mm-hmm. it's been a really fun part of getting to see some of our clients um, pieces as well that, you know, everybody has a little bit of messiness that happens. And if you're in a three hour meeting, having a break where you're allowed to bring a little bit of that messiness or handle it has been, you know, it started as a need because everybody always had a kid or a dog or something happening, right? A partner that, uh, that needed something. And now it's become this thing that we look forward to is, oh, when's the break where everybody's going to share their dog or, you know, the plant that they've killed because they didn't follow, you know, the app directions correctly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we all want that. Right. I mean, yeah, we, we, we all want to just like feel like a community and um, instead of pretending like we're just like, oh no, this is like work and we're just like so serious. It's like everyone's like mutually pretending like they, they don't want that stuff when they actually right. do. I think it's so funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And some of our clients, it's, it's funny. It's like, then once you kind of pass that barrier, right. Then, then it's the full, you know, mm-hmm. it, it totally transforms what you do. And as you come back to work, the type of activities that if you do see your clients in real life that you get to do with them. That's funny. Yeah. Cool. And you know, um, this made me think about too, a, a thing I talk about a lot, uh, which is, 
about like stuff you do for your customers, right? Like you care about all this stuff about your customers, you know, how are they feeling? What keeps them up at night? And yet organizations don't turn that same interest on their employees a, a lot of the mm -hmm. time. I don't know if you've seen this. And, um, and then the sir, and then the service professionals don't do that either for themselves. Um, and no one's caring about anybody, but the customers. And I'm, I'm hearing a lot of what you're doing here is you're actually bringing in that same protocol of, connecting with a customer to actually connecting with the very people that are the fabric of the company. Absolutely. And again, we, we definitely have been on that journey as well, where we did all this work around customer retention and how do we change our processes and why are customers leaving us and what can we do? We had this mantra. Again, I have this mantra of never make the same mistake twice. So you can lose a customer one way, but we're never going to do that again, right? We're never going to do it that way. So what did we learn from it? How can we you know, improve that? And I used to actually do something at my old company where if, if somebody on the customer success team presented on how to not lose a customer like this and nobody lost a customer like that for a year, I'd, I'd give them their bonus back, um, which was fun to really put your kind of money where your mouth is. But we would do all this stuff, right? And many companies do every single playbook under the sun for that, but we don't teach you know, treat our employees the same way. And we've just started really doing that of like, how do you really, really dig into employee retention and treat it in the same way and that same level of care that you do and using some of the same language, right? Like you don't have to make up all new pieces, mm -hmm. which is the exciting part, right? Like we don't have to, oh, like what, what makes people feel seen? What makes people feel heard? Like we've developed this amazing customer success team that does this every day, right? We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Uh, so we've started really digging in on a lot of that. We just um, launched a performance acceleration coaching program, which is individual coaching, um, career coaching, career path coaching, but that can, obviously it pulls in if people are going through personal pieces, um, those as well. Initially, the pilot is with um, top talent, but that top talent can be throughout the org. It doesn't have to be leveled. Mm -hmm. uh, and that will be rolled out to the to the whole company. Um, so some exciting things that that we're doing there. Wicked. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if you find this, but it's like simple stuff, right? Like you're saying, you don't have to like reinvent reinvent like the wheel in terms of like, how do we serve our employees and care about them. It's the same way anyone, I guess, wants to be cared about in the same way you're already trying to care about your customers. And it's just kind of, you know, just naturally kind of responding to that. And I guess it sounds so simple. And it's crazy that that like you guys doing it kind of can sound maybe radical. Like, I don't know if there's a lot of people in your world doing that. Yeah, it, I know exactly. But I mean, it's sort of embarrassing that we weren't thinking about that two and a half years ago in the same way. And I'm not saying that we didn't take employee retention seriously, mm -hmm. but I think having that same lens of being seen and that person, personal, personality and individuality wasn't as much there. We just had a recent um, leadership offsite. And one of the days um, we spent just going over top talent and there were sections of like what keeps them here what might make them leave. And one of my favorite stories is one of the, one of the top performers on my team, who's just a ray of sunshine and incredibly good at her job. Uh, she'd been asked like, you know, this is coming up. What would you say keeps you here and what might make you leave? She, she said, what keeps me here is people laughing at my jokes. What might make me leave is if people stop laughing at my jokes, right? So we're like, we could probably deliver on that, right? Uh, so, um, you know, sometimes to your point, it's just the small things, right? And recognizing what are those small things that do keep people there. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you agree, it's a good time to talk about, I guess, the other level of that, which is also providing a need, which is, I guess, is growth. But it's funny, like a lot of companies think that, you know, if they're like just catering to their employees so much, they won't be motivated anymore. Clearly, I can already tell from our conversation that hasn't happened. The opposite has happened, right? They're like motivated um, to keep keep growing. But does ba basically providing opportunities to continue to stretch yourself kind of a different a different strategy and involve different sort of um, investments? Definitely. I mean, that's part of the performance acceleration piece. It's both recognizing where they are now, but also acknowledging is like we have these career paths that are available, but a career plan is different. It's like which paths might you be interested in taking, right? We, mm. We're not going to say which one you want to take. And, and then 
there's also the piece that would I love for them to stay with Wonderkin forever? Yes. Yes, for sure. However, recognizing that full self and saying, well, maybe there's a path to eventually I want to want to be this. I always joke that the only other job I want is to be head of our sabbatical planning. Right. So, you know, if Molly wants to be head of sabbatical planning one day, right. What, what would that, what would that take? And even if that's not very connected to what, um, what we do now, uh, how could we help you get there? And then some of the pieces we do professional development stipends, which is great, but a lot of times the professional development stipends don't get used unless people are taking the mind time to say, how do I want to grow? Right. And what are other things that I'm interested in? What are things that I could use that for? And it's, it doesn't have to be related to anything that's specific about our work, right? You could, you know, take a certain type of art class, right, that you feel like is going to provide that perspective. You do have to have some sort of justification of how it would work, but we're, we give a lot of leash there. So um, I think the growth piece um, is important, but it's also important to give them ways to think about growth that's not just in title, that's not just in money, uh, because when you look back on it, and I'm sure in your um, business, you know this, but the happiness, you know, is really quite limited by an increase in the salary, right? The, yeah. the bigger, you know, pieces that drive that happiness are, you know, they range, but um, it, it's not usually driven by much by salary after a certain point. Yeah. Now, actually, in New York, in New York, there's a real bar, but <laughs> once you get past it, it's it's not much. Right, right. Yeah. And um, actually, let's take this opportunity to reframe growth together for our friends listening. Because um, yeah, when I say it, and I've taken it for granted so much because I'm a coach. And when I say yeah. growth, I mean, it's like an inner growth. It's a growth in capability mm -hmm. that is sometimes manifested in title, right? Because it's mm -hmm. that's what's required in order for, for one to rise to a, to a greater post of responsibility and wage as a result. Um, but yeah, like just that sense of like, uh, a sense of like, I've overcome challenges and obstacles. I've become bigger and better than I thought I was. I have just generally um, excelled and matured as a human being. And, um, and I guess there are, you know, there are organizations that that are, are designed to support that. There aren't that many, uh, some really interesting ones have been studied. And then they it's a very rigorous and crazy, almost like criticized as cult like organization that really like makes an effort to like, get together and like iron out each other's weaknesses without actually, you know, any self-consciousness somehow. Um, but, uh, but that's the kind of stuff I guess I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm generally talking about and interested in if you've, uh, if you've got any, um, ways you do that already. We, um, with the kind of career pathing and the career planning, one of the tools that we've used with that is, and I'm going to blank on the exact term for it. I think it's called a career trellis. So one mm -hmm. of them is sharing for us that have had longer, um, careers and are no longer in our twenties. Uh, uh, they, um, had a share kind of when broke, broke up our career, but by different, um, pieces. So areas that we were, um, learning, but it was a, you know, lateral, um, transitioning, um, in kind of in a totally new growth mode or kind of promotion. And I forget the three names of it, but essentially it's this upward growth that is seen in growth as far as title or, salary or kind of level of responsibility versus this lateral piece where you're just kind of growing and developing in your current um, area. And one of the pieces that was interesting for me and a lot of my team called out when I presented this was that I had the least amount of growth when I was going up the quickest, mm. right? The most growth happened when I was in a role for a significant amount of time and I was really able to hone things. I was actually able to focus on what's my inner growth. And, and uh, you know, I think it, when I was younger, I think I was a terrible manager and a leader. I didn't focus on how am I making my team feel? It was all about the results, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can <laughs> rinse, repeat on that for several mm -hmm. things. And now, I mean, that's a huge amount of my mind space and a huge amount of where I get satisfaction on if I'm doing a good job that wouldn't have come from if I just kept on trying to kind of go up and change my title and, you know, go to a bigger company or whatever was perceived as better. So it was an interesting insight, even for myself that I consider myself 
to already be aware of some of that, that you get growth when you're not kind of upwardly mobile. But I think for the team, it was also a really interesting insight. That is really interesting. Um, yeah, that's a really cool dimension to look at because I think a lot of people think growth means leaving your comfort zone and, and taking on all these new responsibilities and being really uncomfortable. And some organizations are built around that. What was the one? Decurion. They're always throwing people into new positions to keep them on their toes. Otherwise, you get stagnant and comfortable. And, uh, and that's one philosophy. I guess if you stick to it and have the right system for it, maybe it works. Um, but that idea of, as they would say in yoga, digging one hole very deep, right? Of just remaining. Mm -hmm and really refining something. I feel like it'd be like a very, um, very in line with like Japanese culture too. It's like, you always want to like change things up, but like you could do one thing for your whole life and still be a, a novice at it, right? Right. And definitely something that I am not good at um, and strive to be. So as I mentioned, we're trying to codify energy index and there's different pieces of that, right? But one of the pieces that was in there that was not, I had a lot of input on, on some of this, but this was one area that didn't come from me, but actually came from our founder and CEO. And he had this vector in there of, do you innovate on your job every year and make it a new job, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly, one, are you developing people that can take your current job so that you've got the space that you could have the same title, but your job that year Molly 2022 is a totally mm. different job than Molly 2021, right? And that was a really interesting piece for me because I never sort of actually thought about how do I make my role different and how does that equal growth? And that lens has actually been really helpful in actually making me feel that growth. And I think going back to the beginning of the conversation, track that as a positive piece, because sometimes you'll do that, you'll change your role, but you don't necessarily recognize, oh, I really did a good job making this year different and making it better and making it interesting, right? So anyway, I thought that was interesting. I don't know how people like value the status of the customers facing service and sales jobs where you're at, but every company is different. And some companies, Sure, it's not like that there, but some companies it's like, you know, it's it's like a blue collar, bottom of the barrel kind of job. And it's like, how can I get out of this? How can I leave this, the catacombs of this organization into something else, right? Then I'm really growing, then I'm really moving up. Um, but even so, like, I mean, just not having a job that is managerial or having lots of responsibility might feel like, okay, well, I think I need to blossom out of this one day. But um, is what you're talking about here potentially an antidote so, to that? So you can feel like you really take pride in what you do. It's not just a transit point. It's something that you can continue to master while sort of extending the reach of it, perhaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting for, for our customers and, you know, some of our lowest level employees, um, if you're looking at the totem pole or that kind of thing, they're managing our mid-market customers and our mid-market customers are fascinating, right? It's it's these razor thin margins and the importance of the revenue that we're driving is the difference of them staying in business or thriving and becoming the next it brand or getting their product out to market that's helping people. You know, we work with a lot of brands that have very mission driven purposes and they're the ones that are actually talking to CMOs and CEOs about mm. these marketing strategies out of the gates, right? So it's it's been an interesting dynamic. There was one, uh, you know, going back 100 years ago, it feels like in a different world, November 2019, before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we were doing our all hands for our team. And I don't know about you, but going home and describing what you do uh, to your family is use, usually an exercise in futility, right? There's right. just no understanding, right? My favorite story is, a friend that works for Google and runs a huge, huge service team there was unable to do this to his mother. So he finally said, you know, mom, when you type in the where, where do I get the best flowers in Chelsea? I'm the one that types back. Did you like your response? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, back to the all hands. I was telling the team when you go back and see your families and also it's our busy season. So a lot of times there's work that's coming in on Thanksgiving. Uh, I, I like to think of our impact in, when I think of an impact, I always like to get a few nervous chuckles when I say it, right. To really make sure that I'm being as hyperbolic as possible, but having that, that seat of truth, 
And I said, tell them you're fueling the, the economy. Mm. And uh, so they did. And there was lots of stories coming back from there, but it did lead to interesting conversations of what we do and how we do it. But then the pandemic hit and all of a sudden bricks and mortar stores are closed. And it really was the case. And one of the customer success folks that had done this came back to me and said, you know, I sort of said this as a joke, Molly, but it really is true, right? This this company stayed in business because of us and these jobs stayed in business because of us, right? Mm. Because I look at this 20% of digital revenue that we're driving, if they didn't have that, it would be, you know, and we're very close to our clients and talking about, you know, what value we're driving for their business and what does that mean? And what, what else do they need to achieve to be able to meet their next year's goals? So we knew it was a difference maker. And so it was kind of a fun story. It started as a bit of a joke. And then, you know, the pandemic hits and you realize the type of impact that you do have. And many times the impact is at those, you know, the, the core of a company's impact is in that humanity that goes to the customer. And, I, you know, I, I think we're the heart and soul of our company. And I think customer success and service teams are really the heart and soul of many companies. Yeah, well, that's actually really, uh, really lovely because, yeah, I don't think about that. Like, I mean, there's all these companies that just probably felt digitally incompetent, right? Because they had a shop front of some sort and people could find them. They were discoverable. Uh, no longer could do that. And they had to like, they needed people to steward them through this new terrain. And I guess being able to do that properly so they can establish an online presence, like was what determined their survival, sounds like. Yeah, and really kind of maximizing the channels that they had, um, email and text became incredibly important and in being able to communicate with your customers and drive them to the website. So it yeah, was, and, sorry, it was a mind? really interesting time. <laughs> and, yeah. and a lot of our of our clients too, you know, it, it e-commerce had been a little bit more separate, right? Or some of the C-suite wasn't as in tune with what we were doing, particularly kind of the chief financial officers. And then come April, May, all of a sudden they would hop on a call like, oh, hi, we've been trying to get in touch. How are you? You know, um, but really kind of that integral nature that it had in the businesses really became clear. Um, and the good piece has has remained uh, clear. So we've been able to keep those connections through a tough time and then be able to build in it in a in a more kind of uplifting atmosphere. Yeah. So how much time do you have, by the way? Did you just have the hour? Should we I'm, wind it I'm okay until I've got um, a meeting at the bottom of the hour, but, but okay, I'm okay cool. for the next little bit. I just want to know when to ask my like mic drop question so I can like wind it down and, uh, and let you get on with your day. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to talk about on that, um, because what you're talking about here too, I think is a very special dimension of service. And that's being able to sort of guide people through terrain that's very like intimidating to them. And, um, and I worked in a world like that for a while and I was terrible at it because I was a snob and I thought my clients and my customers should know everything I should know. And if they didn't, they're ignorant. And uh, you know, you know how it gets right with like the, the snobby nerd guy. I was like the epitome of that. Um, and now, you know, now I'm, I'm, that's like one of the most important values that I, that I drive in people. It's like, you know, the people you're dealing with are scared and vulnerable at the end of the day. Right. And, and how are you working directly with that to help soothe them? Cause I think that's a huge part of the game. So, um, yeah, if you have like, uh, if you have, uh, anything to share on, on that, I guess you can say that competency and service and how you drive it. Well, it, exactly. I mean, I think it starts with just recognizing that they're humans that are either trying to keep their job or trying to advance in their job and that piece in allowing people to have that conversation with them as an individual. And we look at our clients both as individuals, but also as the full company. But we'll maintain, I mentioned this before, we maintain a lot of those client relationships through multiple different companies, right? So talking to them about what are their goals? Do they do they want to have a name in the industry? Are there panels that we can do with them to help them on that journey, right? How are they what, what gets them excited and what do they, you know, on a, on a more boring level, what do they need to show to their boss, their C-suite, their board, their investors to be able to win, to make their day better and easier, right? Mm -hmm. So um, just even having the permission to ask that initially was a bit of a shock to the team and then saying you should right the, these are humans right mm -hmm. this is this is what what we do right this is 
this is part of work and this is part of the human connection. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're going to build, I'm taking, you know, how to, how to have a business courses, you know, and thinking about your, your target market and in the building up your customer avatar, it's asking you those questions. Like what, what would make their day better? Like what would keep them up at night? Like you were saying all these like very human things and people build their business on that, but then they don't continue to speak to those aspects of their, their customer and don't continue to say, Hey, you particular human customer in front of me, not my avatar that I've built my systems around actual human, you know, what would make your day better? And, uh, I think that makes a huge difference. Absolutely. And it's, and I think, uh, you know, going back to the tech that can deliver some of that, you know, there's more around this kind of 360 view of the customer, right. And making sure that you have that as you're interacting, especially in more of a BDC world, right. Or one to many, we, you know, we have, only kind of a handful of customers uh, per per customer service rep. But the ability for that data to lead to how do I have an even better, more human conversation is important, right? How do you get the data to be able to get you to the next level so that the human conversation can be even better, right? Versus, oh, we have the data, that's a check mark, we know what to do. And it turns back into sort of the zero and one and the very robotic customer success or customer service representative, which frankly, when I entered tech, felt like that was what good looked like. Mm-hmm. A zero and one, if you could automate everything that a customer success rep did, mm-hmm. it was success. And I feel like that's changed. I hope I was part of that change, but uh, that definitely felt like the initial vision for a customer success role. Yeah, totally. I mean, you could theoretically automate uh, the the function of, of any human being. Uh, the question is, will the person using it be happy with it? And I, I don't think I've ever seen that happen, especially when you're dealing with an emotional game. Like, right. you know, can a bot read emotions? It cannot, you know, <laughs> it can look for swear words, um, but, you know, you can't tell what someone's feeling and you can't give them feeling in response that will help them uh, feel heard. It was funny going back to the beginning of, uh, if you'll, allow me to embrace a tangent. Are you okay mm. if I go on a tangent for a second? I love tangents. They're probably my favorite. <laughs> okay. A tangent embracer, me too. All right. Uh, so you asked that question of kind of how at the beginning, right? Wh- why is service important to me? And, you know, talked about my parents, but I think in other ways I sort of fell into it, right? I was, I was good at the more emotional intelligence piece, mediocre at the spreadsheet piece, right? So you kind of get promoted into the things that you're good at. But about 13 years ago, I was on a train. I had just landed from uh, Argentina where I was, I was managing agencies and stuff there. It was a crazy time. I was working insane hours, uh, but it was a super interesting time. And I was on the phone with a client at 8 a.m. And there's this young kid next to me uh, who says to me, uh, what, what do you do? And, you know, normally in advertising, everybody wants to get in it. And so I said, what I do, he goes, oh, good. I, I just wanted to take notes because I want to make sure not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and because um, he had heard this urgency of the voice and this, you know, client was panicked and, mm-hmm. uh, and all this kind of thing. And, um, and I said, oh, well, what's your plan? And uh, he said, well, I'm planning to do, um, you know, see how long I can stay in school. Uh, you know, learn about this, learn about this, get different grants. Uh, and I was like, oh, perfect. And then you can write one of those trait business books. And he starts laughing. And uh, I said, why are you laughing? And he goes, well, my brother just wrote one of those books. And it turns out it was Tim Ferriss's brother. <laughs> and he tells me about the book. The book had just come out, the four-hour work week. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. So, you know, train gets out. And I went to the independent bookstore and bought the book, which was signed because um, it was where... Um, he had grown up and uh, I read the book that weekend on the beach and there's pictures of me on the beach, you know, reading this um, for our work week book. And I was kind of all excited to implement it. And then you get to this chapter, right? And it's like anything you do, you have to avoid any type of service, right? Because you cannot automate human interaction because there's always the volatility of it and you can never make that a four hour work week, right? Right. And like I had this sort of epiphany. I was like, 
Well, yeah, you could do that, but that's all the interesting parts of it. Then you just right. take out the humanness and then what are you going to do? Go hang out at a coffee shop to try and see, you know, people's highs and lows. So it was sort of this epiphany that like the service piece and the humanness to work is really important to me. And if you take that out, um, then it is that robotic piece. And, and you can do a job that doesn't feel like long hours if you enjoy interacting with people and develop the tools to, as we talked about at the beginning, of minimizing those negative effects and maximizing some of the positive interactions as well and have a really meaningful work life, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. Wow, that's really funny. And you know what? I actually haven't read the four hour work week, even though I like I follow like Tim Ferriss's work and you know, he's an inspiration in many ways. But like, as as like the OG life hacker, you know, probably I, I maybe he is. Um, he like, definitely is doing so but in a way that sounds like it's only conducive to like individualistic hyper American individualism, you know, yeah. like of just like, oh, yeah, just, you know, get your game straight and forget about other people and you're good but that's ultimately not fulfilling and I, I i bet as he as he maybe progressed in his life um he would maybe look back and say ah maybe actually truly fulfilling stuff is uh involves other people somehow and and serving them in some way now as he focuses on the podcast and gets seemingly a lot of enjoyment out of interacting with people and making that the core of his business, yeah. um, which in the four hour work week, there's a lot of examples of, you know, laundromats being a good business, right? You can just, you know, set it up and set it and forget it. So in many right. ways, he's sort of done what, what my initial take was, is you get other businesses down to four hours and then you spend time in the coffee shop talking to people. He just projects it to the world. <laughs> right, right. That's like the passive income dream, right? It's right. like the basically. Right. And you know, at the end of the day, it's just kind of like making life on your terms and stuff. And I, I totally get that. You know, I, I think the connection of mindfulness is interesting. And like I said, for me, I don't, I still see it as very, very bifurcated, right? You do these programs that are a meditation program, and then you go back to the client's right? Uh, you do, you know, this sort of coaching program and you go back to the clients, you provide sabbaticals so people can go and experience life, but it's not as integrated. And I'm curious, really kind of almost where you see it going, if you see it becoming more of a tapestry where you can have it woven in, right? We had a client mm -hmm. event where we did a tequila and chocolate and meditation was one of the activities that you do. Do mm. you do you have more where you kind of like weave it in and mm. what does that look like? And, or is there, is there a role for having them more split? So people can be encouraged to have those activities in their life, but have a bit of a barrier where it's not always kind of bleeding in and out of their work and their personal life. So I think that that piece is interesting to me. I'd love your perspective on, on where you see the corporate world going. Oh yeah. Um, well, when I talk about mindfulness, I'm never talking about something that is separate from your lived experience. It's, it's literally, it's something you've learned to take with you into every moment. So like right now, for example, I'm talking to you and it's, it, I am challenged to be mindful. It's, it's on me to be mindful right now. It's not like it's, I'm not doing a separate practice basically mm -hmm. from, from this moment. And actually being mindful in, in conversation is very challenging. And it's why mindful communication is always really fascinating to me because it's uh, really rewarding and really hard. Um, what we're talking about here is, is like a meditative practice, which is part of the constellation of mindfulness. It's part of a mindfulness program perhaps, but that's its own thing. And that's what we'd call formal practice. That's something you do in isolation. And then you say, well, let's see if it benefits my life. Hope it does. And then it does, but you know, it's just kind of its own thing. Um, a lot of the work I would say now, most of my focus is on um, actually integrated mindfulness. That really mm -hmm. is the only way that, um, that it's meaningful to me. And that's why it is so meaningful to me in service because mindfulness is about um, mastering your, your 24 hour attention, right? Minus the hours you're sleeping. Um, theoretically you could be mindful when you're sleeping, but like minus sleeping, let's say the, all, the whole period you're awake, are you paying attention properly? And in service, that's also the question, right? Are you paying attention properly? So if I'm teaching somebody, I'm not teaching them to meditate. I'm not giving them a vacation from their stress. I'm teaching them a skill uh, that mm -hmm. can be applied to basically any challenge and needs to be practiced 
in those challenges to really be actually solidified in, in their lives. And um, there's different like modes, there's different modalities, there's different tools you can use in different situations. Um, and there's also just very simple protocols that you can always be following if you if you want to be, um, I guess you can say more more in charge of your mind, uh, behaving and performing the way you want it to be um, in service situations. So for me, the future is a tapestry. I think a lot of people that bring in meditation or mindfulness teachers are bringing in somebody that's going to give them some sort of isolated experiential thing. Right. Um, and even if you bring in someone to take people through a program, which, which, um, you know, if someone's like from like a really orthodox, like a MBSR program or something like right. that, they'll be like eight weeks, it's gotta be. And uh, that's the only way it'll sink in. And that's true in a way, because that means people are more likely to actually practice it after the program's over. Um, they need some time to actually like be with the practice. Um, what I'm working with now, like, let's say people don't, aren't willing to do that. Aren't willing mm -hmm. to gather their team for eight weeks. Um, okay. So, I'll be like, try this, <laughs> just try this in your life. See if it, if it, if it helps. And, um, so that's a, a lot of what I try to provide now, either in my content or in work I do with people, you know, what's the situation you're struggling with. Okay. Try this the next time you're struggling with it. Um, customer does this, try this. Um, coworkers can't communicate. Try this feeling overwhelmed. Try this. And that's, um, that's where I, I see it going. It's like, it's like, we're always resourced. We always have tools right. every time, um, something goes down. And even when things are good, actually, when you're, when you're, when you have things to do, when things are, are good as well, then you're more likely to be resilient when things um, go off kilter too. So for, it's a great word to use there, tapestry. I mean, that's like, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I want to weave in people's work and, and personal lives. And I think it's interesting when you talk about a tapestry too, and I'll just give this example when I was also a competitive gymnast growing up and the the other gymnastics center that was down the road from us did a lot more about integrating mindfulness in that tapestry, right? Not just kind of visualizing your routines, but also integrating that into your whole entire practice, bringing that, bringing that in. And that was sort of poo-pooed at my gymnastics center. We had very <laughs> kind of Russian minded coaches mm -hmm. and they ended up sending um, two people to the Olympics, um, the next Olympics, um, which was a really big deal, uh, really big deal anywhere. But uh you know, I, I think there's, there's something to it being sort of that secret sauce, that special sauce of those that can figure out ways to do that. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying we're doing the best job. I, I'm like literally taking copious notes and, and what I kind of revamp um, a couple of things with just a few of the suggestions you have, but adding those moments in where you can use those pieces. When we get our customer feedback, uh, you know, it is, you know, it, it is glowing. And a lot of it is around some of these individual pieces. And I see some of these small practices that we're doing on, mm -hmm. on how you kind of treat, um, you know, these negative situations and how you can use positive communication and sort of laughter to work mm -hmm. through some situations, treating them like humans and recognizing that taking a pause uh, and not being afraid to take a pause uh, really coming through in a lot of the feedback that we get. So it'll be interesting to see if there's sort of a reverse case study that's done. You can almost see a Harvard business case study on the success of bringing mindfulness really in that tapestry for that extra level of success. It's an interesting thing because you can't like, um, make like you can't make people do it right it's kind of like it's an internal game it's like you know we decide how we're going to deal with something right even if you teach someone well you can't guarantee that they're going to be able to perform like that because when you get stressed when you get triggered all that stuff can go out the window you know which is why it's good to have reminders and it's good to have um like things you can do that are your lifeline for when it's actually really hard to pull yourself into center um, but even then sometimes you can just let go of if even hoping to uh be like as as grounded and centered as you want to be and and actually just working with the fact that things suck um is like one of the most important tools i think i teach people like don't try and feel better get really good at feeling like crap and you will be rocking it in this life trust me that, like most of mindfulness, that sounds like a good business book working with when it sucks yeah. <laughs> living in the suck <laughs> yeah owning it and actually it turns out to be extremely manageable you know what makes it difficult is is the mind telling you that everything's way worse than it is and that's right. that's the game what if you were to just feel it it's a bunch of really manageable sensations at the end of the day and um and actually and always having somebody and i think i hope companies eventually always have someone that's at least a 
a part-time or like around an hour or two a day kind of resource for open office hours for people to come and just kind of share their experiences because it's a constant like battle of like, okay, you know, I, um, I had this experience and, um, and then I was like, I got really stressed. And then my mind came in and it told me all these things about how much it was much worse. Oh, I hate my mind for doing that. It makes everything worse. I'm like, wait, wait, no, no, no. Even though I told you that before that your mind makes everything worse, you still have to love your mind. And so here's how we can love your mind. And so there's this constant like play and like recalibration. It's like working with tech. It's like, oh, I found a bug. I've got to like debug uh this in this right. one small little way right and so i think going companies going towards you know they have their performance coaches and stuff um but having someone that's also just like a basically a mental technician for people like google did you know i think is just really valuable as well yeah absolutely i mean it's a constant uh it, it especially in service right you you start off and it's great and then you just go through the you know, go through the roller coaster through the day and uh, and hope you end somewhere neutral. So I agree that would be a, a fantastic resource. So never know. Wonder can we like to try new things out? So always good for a testing ground with us. Cool. I love tech companies. They're just always trying stuff. They're like, let's try it. I mean, like, and see what happens. And and that's, I, I mean, they're the reason uh, probably why mindfulness is fashionable um, in areas outside of tech. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were the torchbearers there because they're like willing to, uh, to try new stuff. So, you know, hats off. Well, I'm going to let you get on with uh, the day and I will, I guess, probably just give you a chance now to talk about anything else you wanted to like promote on a personal Molly Brutomesso level that you want to uh... work for Wonderkind. It's an amazing company. Anybody's interested and out there would love to speak. We're growing very quickly and it is a wonderful place to be and does some really impactful work for our clients. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, so much fun talking about all these uh, work upgrading uh, concepts that you are putting into action. They're not just uh, concepts. So uh, thanks so much for sharing that. Wunderkind sounds uh, like a wonderful company. So I uh, really do appreciate um, what you're doing to sort of bring more uh, life and integrity and uh, joy into uh, what I think can actually be joyful. You guys are living proof. So, uh, so thanks so much. Thank you and have a wonderful day. <laughs> yes.